Welcome to Grace Community Church On Demand, the weekly podcast from the Sunday services at Grace Community Church in Rupert, Idaho. Here at Grace, we believe in building the kingdom of God one person at a time. We're passionate about loving God, loving people, and following Jesus. Let's get into this week's message with Pastor Travis Turner. Let's dive in an overview of God's word, right? My hope and my prayer is, is that some of you are going to fall even more in love with God's word and you're going to, you're going to dive into it this year like you've never done before. See, we just come out of this series called Unveiling Faith and it's where we've pulled back the curtain um, to what faith really is. And we're answering questions that not only culture is answered, or I'm sorry, we're answering questions that culture is asking, but also church folks are asking. And you know, one of the biggest questions that I get every single year, Pastor Travis, how do I read and how do I understand the Bible? How do I read and how do I understand God's word? Because if you don't have some fundamental understandings, how many of you know that that task can be daunting? How many of you know that it can be a little bit confusing at times? And so today, pray for me because in the next 30 minutes, I'm going to talk to you about the whole Old Testament. This is going to be a 10,000 you know, foot view from the top. And so I don't know how you cover all of those years in 30, 35 minutes of history. But um, next week, we're going to talk about the Gospels, which is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then we're going to dive into the book of Acts Acts gives us a picture of what the church is supposed to look like. And then we're going to finish out the following week um, with the rest of the New Testament. And so turn to your neighbor and say, get ready. Turn to your neighbor and say, where's your Bible? Turn to your neighbor and say, where's your notebook? Because we're going to need it today. And so... um, So our goal, once again, is to help you to fall in love with God's word. And I can just tell you this, when I was brand new saved, like I was radically saved, Steve, probably much like you, maybe even a lot more than you, but, but I was radically saved and, and um, God had been so good to me, but I really didn't know who this God was. And so I was the guy that was so excited about spending time in God's word that I packed my Bible every single place that I went. And I didn't pack some little Bible that I could hide away or tuck away in my pocket. Man, I packed a big study Bible every single place. Why? Because I was not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in fact, I think it was about five years after I'd given my heart to the Lord, they come up with a song and I think they had me in mind. It was like, I like big Bibles and I cannot lie. You other brothers can't, wait a second. No, 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 none of that. You don't want none of that? Okay. You didn't know I had some skills, mad skills, <laughs> mad skills like that. They saw Pastor T, which wasn't even a pastor then, packing his big book around. We could write a song about that guy. So this new year, we're going through the Bible. I encourage you, just like I encouraged you last year, go through the Bible in a year. You can get the Bible app. We've got, we've got pages that you can pick up at the back and, and whatnot. But I love it. Arlene Dempsey came up to me about two weeks, and she kind of caught me off guard. She said, hey, I want you to know, Pastor Travis, I'm right on time. And I said, I don't know what you're talking about. 
She said, uh, I'm right on time. You know, you challenged us to go through the Bible in a year, and I am right on time. I'm right up to date on that. And so even this morning, she came up, and she said, I'm almost there. I'm almost done. Or you are done. You finished. You, come on, let's give it up for, for Arlene. And I tell you this, she has been through the Bible multiple times, and if she can do it, right, and she's already done it, then can't we all do it even if we've not done it. I know that's not proper English, but hey, listen, you understand what I'm trying to say. And so um, I just love that. So what I want us to realize is right now, church people in high percentages are abandoning God's word. Church people, I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about people that don't have a relationship with Jesus I'm talking about people that go to church. They say, listen, I love Jesus. As my, he's my Lord and Savior. You know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm a born-again Christian. And I'm just telling you this, that many church folks are not reading their Bible. And so this is what happens. Let me give you the end of the story. When you don't read your Bible, what you do is you come up with thoughts and ideas as to who you think God is, and then you make up your own truths. And there might be a little bit of right in there and a little bit of wrong. And if you've got a little bit of right and a little bit of wrong, you've got something that's wrong. And if you don't believe me, as you get to know your Bible and you talk to other Christian people and some of the things that they, that they, that they talk about, come on, they don't have any biblical foundation, but they sound right. They sound right to, you know what I mean, to humanism or just caring for, you know, for one another. But I'm telling you, folks, we need to know God's word now more than ever, right? We need to change this, this process of going away from God's word and really dive in. So I want to encourage you, get a good study Bible, right? Get a good study Bible that will help you to understand that as you're reading it, Come on, you can, you can dive in as deep as you want to go. Download the YouVersion Bible app right on your phone so that you've got it every single place. They've got daily devotions. They've got the Bible in so many different languages and different versions. It's free, right? Why? Because other people are paying for it so that we can have it. And my challenge is this, to enjoy getting to know who Jesus Christ is. Like, don't just read it because it's a task that you need, to, you need to do, but read it because you want to know this God that is so good to you. The word Bible, what you need to know is it simply means book. It comes from the Greek word biblios. Isn't that cool? Everybody say that. One, two, three. Biblios. And there's actually a, a, a town in Greece called Biblos. I don't know if you knew that, but... Biblos is the number one importer or exporter of papyrus paper. And that is what the Bible was written on. And so in Biblos, not only was the Bible bound, but it was found in that place. And so we know that it's not just a book. Come on, it's a holy book. Please don't treat your Bible like you treat other books because it's more than that. Like it is the the, the word of God, come on, on the pages. And so it's the number one read book in the world. Historically, it's the number one um, translated book. And it's the number one distributed book in the history of mankind. There's not been one book 
that supersedes it in those areas. It was written over a period of 1,600 years. From the time it started to the time it began, 1,600 years, it was written in over 12 countries. It was written by 40 different people, and it was written in three languages. Hebrew was the Old Testament, and then you've got Aramaic, and you've got Greek uh, in the New Testament. Now listen, I want you to think about that. Written by all of those people over that whole time frame, and there's not a contradiction in the word. I want you to realize the miracle that that, that is. My goodness, if it was written by one person, the chances that the whole volume of the book, come on, there would probably be some contradictions, but it's nothing short of a miracle. Why is that? Because while it was penned out by 40 different people, it had one author, and that author was God. Like literally, when you read your Bible, what I want you to think about is 40 different people held the pen, but God was the one that directed the writing. Come on, that's the Bible that you and I have, come on, in our possession. And so it was written by poets and prophets and farmers and kings and soldiers, It was written by shepherds, princes, and priests. It was written by historians, fishermen, and tax collectors. It was written by scholars, businessmen, and doctors. A lot of different people with a lot of different levels of education took part in writing your Bible. John chapter 6 and verse 63, this is Jesus saying this. He said, the words that I've spoken to you aren't just words, they're spirit and they're power. 2 Timothy chapter 3.16 says this, that all scripture is God breathed. All scripture is God breathed. And it's useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training. So listen, the Bible will teach you. But guess what? The Bible will also rebuke you and correct you and train you. And let's be honest, like we live in a day and an age and a culture where we don't want to be corrected, where we don't want to be trained. What we want to do is we want to be affirmed and we want to be supported and we just want to be loved regardless of what it is that we believe. And you know this, that that's prophetic in itself. The Bible says that in the last days, And I am telling you, church, we are in the last days. The people are going to gather to themselves people that will not speak the truth to them, but they will tell them exactly what it is that they want to hear. And this is the truth. When people don't like that the word of God contradicts that the way that you live, they leave and they go find somebody that will tell them, hey, it's okay. You're fine. Right? You understand what I'm saying? And this is the day that we live in. And when these things happen, Jesus' return is near. I'm telling you, church, if you don't hear anything else that I'm saying, Jesus is coming back for his bride. Amen? So the job of the Bible is not to change to fit how it is that we live our lives and this is the deal is is that once again we're abandoning the word of God because we have many people that are proof texting God's word and they've got a lifestyle or they've got something that they're doing and they'll find a passage of scripture that's out of context and they'll use it 
to support how they're living and what it is that they're doing. And so when you're talking, when somebody knows what God's word said, there's this flag that just kind of comes up. It's a red flag and it's like, man, you're off and you're missing it. But the churches today are filled with people such as this. Why? Because a lot of people are abandoning God's word. And I want to encourage you, fall in love with it. Amen. Get a little bit of it every single day. See, God's word or the Bible is, is his redemption plan come on for man. Today we're looking at the Old Testament. And what testament means is kind of a strange word. It means covenant. And covenant is not a word that we use all the time. And all covenant means is agreement. And so the Old Testament is God's agreement Come on to man before the New Testament came along. The New Testament is God's agreement. It's a binding legal agreement that he has come on with his people, with his people, right? And so the first covenant was with Abraham. This was even before the law of Moses. This is before the Ten Commandments and all the other 600 and plus different laws, but the covenant with Abraham was, was you were in relationship with God by faith alone. And then mankind blew it, often like we do. And so hundreds of years later, what happens is, or I, I don't know the exact time frame, but Moses comes along and he is given, come on, the law on a place called Mount Sinai, Right? Other places call it Mount Horeb. Same, same mountain, same space, same place, but that's where the law was given. And the law is actually a rule book to follow. Don't do this, and you can do that. And don't do this, and you can do that. And don't do this, and you can do that. And then when you do what you're not supposed to do, then there's consequences, and there's, there is a need for blood to be shed under the law of Moses. And so this is where the incorporation of animal sacrifices came into play. You did something wrong. You, somebody had to pay for it. There was blood that needed to be shed. And that was an animal. And all depending on what it is that you were sacrificing that animal for, there were a lot of different reasons. And so, and then the New Testament comes along, which we're going to talk about, um, you know, coming up. But this is the new covenant this is our sins being forgiven because of one sacrifice, and that sacrifice was Jesus Christ laying down his life on the cross for all mankind, all people that would just believe in him and receive him, believe in their heart and confess with their mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen? Come on, that means your past sins, your present sin, and your current sin are washed away. Aren't you grateful that we don't have to sacrifice a bunch of bulls and doves and and, and, and different things like that anymore. Man, oh man, I'm so grateful for that. So the Old Testament tells us the story of the children of Israel, which is God's chosen people. The New Testament tells us a story about a person, and the person is Jesus Christ. He's the God-man. The Old Testament centers around Abraham and Moses. The New Testament centers around Jesus and the Holy Ghost. Come on, somebody say Jesus. Jesus. Somebody say the Holy Ghost. Holy Ghost. Right? We, we've been using spirit for a long time, but we're bringing back the Holy Ghost. Amen? I'm so excited about that. 
The New Testament centers around Jesus and the Holy Spirit. The Old Testament, it gathers around a place, Mount Sinai, or some of your Bibles say Mount Horeb, and this is where the, the law was given. And the New Testament, it centers around the cross of Jesus Christ. Amen? The Old Testament shows the wrath of God against sin, and in and through the Old Testament, you'll see a little bit of God's mercy and grace and love sprinkled in there, but the New Testament is all about, come on, God's grace and love towards the sinner with a little bit of God's wrath sprinkled in and throughout the New Testament, and we see that with Ananias and Sapphira, right? Right There was just no mercy, no grace. That was just a one-time deal. And so the Old Testament writes the law of God on tablets of stone. Somebody say that's externally. The New Testament writes the law of God on the heart of the believer. And so what happens is, 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 the, is, is God's law actually becomes part of you or you become part of it. See, one of them you have to do the other one you want to do. How many of you just love God so much like you want to be pleasing to him? How many of you love God so much that it's not a matter of, of, of just following a bunch of rules? Like if he's desiring, you know what I mean, to take you, like Cree, for instance. Man, what a beautiful story and, and testimony. You know what I'm saying? Like, like you can hear the heart behind this young man. It's like, listen, I'll go where you want me to go, and I'll do what you want me to do, but God, just please don't let me guess. Don't make me guess as to what that is, and he contended for it. And then the peace of God came. I believe he used the word waves. It came in waves, and I just love that. And so the Old Testament is written of 39 books, and they're not in chronological order. And so if you try to read the Old Testament or much of the Bible, for that matter, in chronological order, you're going to be very confused. And so many people don't know this. And what I want you to know by spending just a little bit of money, like you can buy a book, it's called a chronological Bible. And what you're going to see is some of the Psalms and the Proverbs are sprinkled in and through the entirety of the uh, of some of the books and and it's just it's it's on time and it's in order and so if you like to read from the front to the back and you don't like to bounce around and kind of study where things fit then go and get yourself a chronological bible and maybe that would be the bible that you read this upcoming year amen and so there was a guy that, uh, that, that, this was the New Testament, but he said, man, this Bible is so stinking confusing. And like, why is that? He said, man, I was reading Matthew, and, and in the book of Matthew, Jesus was a baby, and he lived his life, and he died, and he resurrected. And then all of the sudden, I read the next page, and Jesus is a baby again. And the reason is, and it might, you know, it kind of a couple of people giggle and laugh, but if you don't know that the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they are the same account just in and through a different person of the same story. And so Matthew goes through the life, and then Mark goes through the life, and, and Luke, and, and John is a little bit different. But, um, but I want you to know that that you can't just read them back to back and it just flow. Come on, it starts back at the beginning. 
And so the Old Testament is broken up into four different sections. You've got the first five books of the Bible, which is called the Pentateuch or the Torah, all depending on if you're Jewish or, or not. But these are the law books. These are the law books. It's Genesis through the book of Deuteronomy. And this takes us literally from the Garden of Eden all the way to Moses on Mount Sinai where he's given the, the, the commandments. And, um, and that's really, really cool. It's the first five books of the Bible. It's called the Pentateuch. And then you've got 12 history books. And this starts with Joshua and the children of Israel. They've been wandering around in the desert. And then it's Joshua's job to take them into the promised land. And so he takes them into the promised land. And you've got the, the beautiful story of the, the conquering of Jericho and the walls falling down. And, and then so they're in the promised land for a period of time. And then they're taken out of the promised land for a period of 70 years, 70 years because they're in what's called Babylonian exile. It's because they... They kind of went away from God for a period of time, and then they come back to the promised land again, and then they begin to rebuild the, the, the walls around the city, and they begin to rebuild the, the, uh, the, the temple itself. And this is because they had favor with the Persian king, King Cyrus. And so this is kind of what you're going to find in those books. And then you've got five poetry books, or people call them wisdom books. This is where you get the book of Proverbs. And I encourage you this, if you're not going to read the Bible in a whole year, definitely at least get your daily dose of the book of Proverbs. It's 31 Proverbs, one proverb for every single day of the week. It's a wisdom book. And this is Job, the book of Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon. And then we have 17 prophetic books. We've got five major prophets, and we've got 12 minor prophets. And the five major prophets are not called major prophets simply because they're more important. They're called major prophets because they're longer and they're very long compared to the minor prophets, which are much shorter in length. And so we've got those 17 prophetic books, and now I'm just going to tell you a story. In the beginning, God created man and woman and he placed them in a place called paradise or eden and his whole plan for man and woman was to walk in relationship with him i want you just to think about this for a second as far as mankind goes i want you to realize this that it began in paradise and we messed it up but it ends in paradise in heaven amen i want you to realize that and God's plan has always been and will always be to be in relationship with you and I. And so he's always wanted that. God desires a relationship with you. And then Genesis chapter 3, Satan comes on the scene and starts lying. And, and he starts deceiving people and he destroys people's hearts. I want you to know this, that sin led to two things back then, and sin leads to two things right now. What are the two things that sin leads to? Number one is separation. Separation from God. When you have sin in your life that's not been dealt with, 
This is why it's super simple whenever somebody's like fired up going to church and, and man, they're here and they're just fired up, excited about God. And then all of a the sudden they just, they're off the map. I've been doing this long enough to know that there's some sin most likely in that person's life because sin always leads to separation. And the second thing that sin leads to is chaos. You will never have peace when you have sin in your life. Your life will be upside down. Things are, you know what I'm saying? Like life is gonna pile on more so than, than, than it piles on and it's not gonna be as easy to deal with because sin always leads to separation and chaos. And so listen, I'm just gonna say this and you answer it. This is a pop quiz. If you feel like God is a million miles away right now, if right now you're thinking, man, I try to pray, but I don't think God hears my prayers. And if you would genuinely say like, listen, my life is an absolute mess and it seems chaotic right now. I'm not telling you that I know the answer, but I'm telling you that the first thing that I would do is examine your life and find the sin that's in your life. I'm not saying you're gonna find it. I'm not saying that there is, but I'm telling you that if you've got those two things happening in your life, the indication is probably such that you've got some sin that you're just kinda hiding and, and keeping because you're never gonna have peace with sin in your life. And you're never gonna, come on, you're never gonna be walking in step with a God that gave his life for you. You're gonna separate just like happened, come on, uh, it, with Adam and Eve in the garden. What'd they do? They separated, had a little bit of chaos. And so, so with this sin and Satan coming in, men began to gather and they began to come up and concoct things that, that listen, I wanna just, I wanna build my way up into the heavens. And so we've got the Tower of Babel and, and, and men wanted to kind of rule in their own hearts, the same kind of thing that Satan, you know, his desire was. And so, so what God does in this point is he looks down at mankind and this is where he confuses the language. This is why we have so many different languages because we all spoke the same language back then. He confused the language and this is where the nations, somebody say nations, this is where the nations were born. The separation of people. All right? And so God in this time, he raises up a man, a Hebrew man, a Hebrew boy, really, into you know, barely manhood, and he raises him up. His name is Abraham. Come on, and he promises him a son. And he promises him a son. He says, listen, this is what I'm going to do. And how many of you know that sometimes, Cree, that God can be slow in fulfilling his promises? Like he can tell you what it is that he wants to do in your life and you're like, okay, I'm ready. Got my pen, got my pad out. I'll write it down, just tell me. And then silence, and then silence and silence. How many of you here would say that I have experienced that in my own life where God said he's going to do, he planted something in my heart and then nothing, and then nothing, and then nothing, and then nothing. And I'm telling you, it's our desire to make something happen, especially when we're standing on a promise, so many times we'll force it to happen. This is exactly what Abraham did. He literally took, he took, 
He took matters into his own hands, and matters meant Hagar. He took Hagar, which was not his wife. He was married to a woman by the name of Sarah, and he said, listen, God had promised us. It's actually Sarah's idea, but God promised us this son, and man, if you'll just go and be with, and I don't see any children. Yeah, we got us some children here. Be with my, my handmaiden, my helper, Hagar, and that's exactly, he, and he fought, he fought again. He said, okay, I'll do it. And so he went and he was with, he was with Hagar. She became pregnant and, um, and they had a boy and they named the boy Ishmael. And today, if you look at the Arab nations, you can trace the Arab nations back to the lineage of Ishmael. Then you fast forward some years and Abraham is a hundred years old at this point. He's 100, and then God fulfills the promise between him and Sarah, and he gives them that promised son, and they named him Isaac, right? And then Isaac had a son by the name of Jacob. He actually had two boys at the same time, Jacob and Esau. Esau was the firstborn, which got the blessing and the birthright, but, but Jacob knew the power of the blessing and really Inside of his heart, I believe he, he loved God, but he was a deceiver. And I told you the story last week about naming my son Jacob, thinking it was a good biblical name. But Jacob's name later on, he wrestled with an angel all night long. And, and he said, I will not let go of you until you bless me. And because of that time, his name was changed from Jacob to Israel. And if you trace back today... The 12 sons that Jacob had, that Israel had, are the 12 tribes of Israel today. So you've got all the Arab nations that, that come from, from Ishmael, and then you've got all the 12 tribes of Israel, come on, that come from Jacob's lineage. The 11th child was daddy's favorite. And how many of you know that daddy's favorite can oftentimes cause problems? Especially if you got 12 boys and the 11th is the favorite. I don't know about you, but every time I see my mom, still to this day, I'm the baby of the family. I'm like, who's your favorite? Of course she says me, but she probably says that to the rest of them as well. But I know I am. I just know I am. But this is the deal. It can cause problems when you're the favorite. This was a spoiled punk brat kid by the name of Joseph. And every time he'd come around, he'd be talking about these dreams and visions. And, and because they hated Joseph so much, they ended up throwing him into, into a pit. And they were, their desire was is to kill him. But they thought, listen, why kill him and not make any money? We can sell him into slavery and we can make all this money. And so he's sold into slavery, goes to Egypt, and he's raised up for a period of time. And I want you to know this, that Joseph was faithful. And so he had faith with his owners. He was in Potiphar's house for a period of time. He was falsely accused, thrown into prison. But at the end of that, that was just part of God's plan to get him into the king's courts, into the king's palace. The king had a dream that really kind of scared him a little bit. And he was looking for all of these wise people in his council to be able to interpret this dream, and none of them could. Guy said, hey, listen, I met a guy in prison. His name is Joseph, and I think he can interpret your dream. And so Joseph comes out, 
And he says, listen, this is what your dream means. You're going to have seven years of plenty, followed by seven years of famine. And this is what I would do if I were you, king. I would store up during the seven years of plenty so that you can have an abundance during the seven years of famine. And king, this is what God is going to do. God's going to bless you. And people from all over, surrounding nations, they're going to come and they're going to buy food and you're going to make a killing. And so the king said, listen, I'm putting you in charge of it. So Joseph went, come on, from the prison, from the pit to the prison to the palace to second in command of the whole kingdom. This guy that was betrayed. And so fast forward, Joseph brothers, the older brothers, all of his older brothers come, come on to buy food because there's scarcity in the land. There's only one place to get it. Joseph reveals himself to his brothers, and the end of the story, Joseph, come on, the, the brothers have favor in Joseph's life because of God in Joseph's life, and he moves all of them to Egypt, and they live wonderfully. See, they lived great because they served a king, Pharaoh, that gave these, uh, these, Israel, these Israelites, come on, they gave them favor. But then a period of time passes and that king dies and then, and then a new king rises up and, and he didn't like these people. Matter of fact, he was, he was afraid of these people. And so when you're afraid of something, you try to control that thing and that's exactly what happened. They were multiplying so big and they were like, listen, they're gonna overtake us. And, and so they were, the king was afraid, this new king was afraid and so he, he enslaved them for how many years? 400 years. He enslaved them. And, and it was just, it was torment. And it was, it was torture. And then all these prayers of these people that were God-fearing, God-serving people for 400 years was going up. And then the Lord heard the prayers and he raised up a man by the name of Moses to deliver the people. You guys have seen the movies and you've heard the stories Moses comes in let my people go and and there's some contention and back and forth and back and forth but then Moses come on he leads them out and on their way to the promised land this is where Moses stops at Mount Sinai and the law was given on the way to the promised land on Mount Sinai or your bible might say Mount Horeb it's the same it's the same place, same mountain. And then during this time, this is when the new covenant, which is the old covenant, they were under Abraham covenant, but the newer covenant, which was the Mosaic law, the law of Moses, right? This is where animal sacrifice was incorporated. So if you break the rules, you had to do what? You had to kill something. There had to be bloodshed. And so now they're back in the promised land and you're gonna see this back and forth. This just irritated me so much when I was a brand new Christian. It's like these people would serve God and then they wouldn't serve God. And they would serve God and then they wouldn't serve God. And they would have all these miracles and they'd serve God and then they wouldn't serve God. They would serve God and they wouldn't serve God. But now, guess what? The thing is true still today. We have a bunch of folks that love and believe God. They'll serve God, and then they won't serve God. They'll serve God, then they'll go back out on a binge, and the, they won't serve God. They'll serve God, and then they'll get in a relationship with somebody that they shouldn't be fooling around with. Then they'll serve God, and then they'll, you know what I mean? It's just crazy. 
Like people don't change. And this is why the devil has such an easy time messing with people because we don't learn. We don't learn. I used to get so frustrated. These are stupid people. These are stupid, stupid people. What is wrong with them? How could they not just serve God wholeheartedly? And so, so they're in the promised land. They're having all these issues, problem after problem. In fact, it's a sad story, but they have a civil, civil war. There's 10 tribes that go against two tribes, and now you've got Judah and Israel. They're separated, and, and they're not getting along, and they're, war they're warned continually by God and the prophets, like, listen, change your ways. Change your ways or destruction's coming. Change your ways or there's going to be consequences. They didn't, they didn't believe it. They continued to ignore God. And it's the same thing today. You might come into a service and somebody says something or the Holy Spirit is just speaking to you like, listen, stop what you're doing. Stop what you're doing. Stop what you're doing. He won't just tell you once and then consequence typically. He'll tell you many times, but that the consequences come when we ignore it. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about because you've been on the receiving end of the consequence. So the result is they're, 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 we've got the Babylonian captivity where they're literally enslaved for a period of 70 years. 70 years. And then they return back to the promised land. And then that's the end of the Old Testament. There's, it's, it's ended literally by 400 years of silence. And then guess what? Jesus comes. And so that's, a, that's the story time of the Old Testament in a short period of time. And I've got to go. <laughs> and I'm not ready to go yet. So the Old Testament, what it does is it reveals to us that we can't do it our way, that we need Jesus. And listen, this isn't the church. It's not about checking a box. It's not about doing more good than you do bad. And it's not about earning your way to heaven. What it's about is a relationship with Jesus. And if you think it's anything other than having a genuine personal relationship with Jesus, then I'm sorry, my friend, you've missed it. Hebrews 10, 16, but this is the covenant that I'm going to make. And it's going to be different because I'm going to put the laws in their mouths it's not going to be an external law anymore. I'm literally going to write it on their hearts. Literally, you're going to become it. And I'm just telling you at Grace Church, like if you're used to a church that's telling you everything that you're supposed to do and what you're not supposed to do, that's not going to be something that you're going to find here at Grace Church because we could give you a bunch of rules and everything to follow, but I know that the heart of God is for you to desire Come on, to live a life that is pleasing to him. For you to desire to read your Bible. For you to desire to come to prayer. For you to desire, come on, to serve. For you to desire, right, to give. For you to desire to use your life to make a difference in the lives of others. I think it was awesome. Pastor Hobby called me. He's been mentoring somebody in a different state this, this, these people, this couple, they were heavily involved in their church. Somebody got in his ear. Next thing you know, he's arguing with Javi about how you, you don't have to tithe, and that's just, that's just goofy and all that stuff. And then the next thing you know, they're not even going to church. And Pastor Javi was saying, hey, listen, what would you do? And I just said, listen, you know what I would do? I would literally tell him, if you don't want to tithe, don't tithe. Don't give. Like, I'm not going to get off into the weeds with you, but before you make that decision, 
Go find three people, just three people that faithfully tithe, and then ask them, come on, why they do it, and then ask them if they would ever see themselves not doing it. And just have them have the conversation. See, the problem is, is sometimes we get off in the weeds when somebody's heart is right. They're trying to, they're trying to figure out a reason as to why they don't have to do. And listen, if you don't want to, if you can't do it right and proper and with a good heart, don't do it. Literally, there's no shame, there's no condemnation, but you're really robbing from yourself. When you rob from God, you rob from yourself. And so, so I love Sundays, for instance. Like, I love Sundays. I love Sundays. Why? Because I get to gather with God's people. We get to come in. We get to worship. How many of you enjoyed worship this morning? Amen. I love, I love hearing and I love sharing the word of the Lord. I love all the ministry that takes place. I love the kids being here encouraged in the Lord. Like, listen, I don't come to Sunday service because I feel an obligation to come to Sunday service. I don't feel like, like God's going to say, wow, you know, you're just, you're just so good by coming. And, but yet you were checked out the whole service. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, if that's you, God bless you. Don't come until you can come for the right reason. Seriously. You know what I'm saying? Like, and that's not, that's not a, that's not, I'm not trying to ruffle feathers or anything like that. But listen, the idea is for us to desire, come on God, and to, and to want to grow because he desires us. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. In the Old Testament eyes of viewing things, if you love me, you could literally say in the Old Testament and then prove that you love me. New Testament, if you love me, then, then there's going to be a desire out of your heart to do. There's going to be a delight in duty, a delight in duty, a delight in doing what it is that God asks us to do. And I'm just going to close with this, and then I'm going to read a scripture. But I want you to realize something, church. I want you to realize that America is losing its power and influence in the world. And there are other people, other countries that are rising up and then taking that space in place. And I want you to know it's not because we're being overthrown by some other country or nation. We are literally losing our position because of immorality. And immorality, the Bible even talks about how judgment is first going to come to the church. And if we, if, we took a, if we took a survey here right now, it would be interesting, but we would have people that believe in things that are absolutely 100% contradictory to God's word. And so what happens is this judgment comes to the house of the Lord first because we are the carriers of the truth. We are the, we are the receivers of grace and the carriers of the truth. But what's happening is our nation is becoming more and more immoral because the church has failed to do, I believe in part, not the full responsibility, but the church has failed to do what the church is called to do. But let me share with you the good news that's in the middle of this. All of this is prophecy. All of these things that we're seeing today were written of thousands of years ago, and we are watching and we are, we are paying attention and we're seeing these things play out right in front of our eyes. This is fulfillment of prophecy. And I don't share that with you to scare you, but I share this with you to prepare you that the things that we're seeing today were actually written a long period of time ago. If you go to the back of the book, the book of Revelation, 
I think it's like Revelation 6 through 19. Like a lot of bad things happen, Revelation 6 through, through 19. But if you flip the page over to Revelation chapter 20, what you see is Satan is defeated and we go home to Jesus, right? And so all this other stuff, all this stuff has to happen and then we go to be with Jesus, which is, which is beautiful. But let me tell you something. Now, I want you to listen. Everybody look at me right now. Now is the time you better get your house in order. Let me say it again. Like now is the time that you better get your house in order. Matter of fact, just so you, so I know that you've heard me, turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor, get your house in order. Because I'm telling you, Jesus is coming back. He's coming back and some of these things, you know what I'm saying? Like I used to think, man, yeah, it would be kind of a possibility that Jesus returned, but I really do believe it's very possible. I'm not saying it's gonna happen, but I do believe that it's very possible that he comes back in my lifetime. And, I'm, and honestly, like I'm, I kind of hope that he does. You know, I, I think it would be really cool to be a part of that generation. Can you imagine like all the questions that you want to go ask Adam and, and Abraham and Moses and the Apostle Paul and Peter? Come on, just give Peter a hug, you know, like all the questions that you want to have and conversations that you want to have with them. Could you imagine coming on the scene? Yeah, we were that. We were that last generation. <laughs> Come on, Moses, I'll tell you what it was like. You know, <laughs> maybe not, maybe not. But I just, I think, it's, I think it's exciting. The last verse in the Old Testament is found in Malachi chapter 4 and verse 1. And this is what it says. The Lord of the heaven's army says, surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. It's time to get your house in order. The arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble, and the day that is come will set them on fire. Not a root or a branch will be left to them. But for you, somebody say that's me. But for you who revere my name, for you that are in relationship with me, I just put that in there. I thought it sounded good. The sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its rays, and you will go out and frolic like a well-fed calf. So in the middle of chaos, what this is saying is that there's joy, and there's peace, and there's protection, and there's love, and you're going to have a desire to help other people. Verse 3, then you will trample on the wicked, and they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day, says the Lord. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and the laws that I gave him at Horeb, which is Sinai, for all Israel. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children, the hearts of children to their parents. Can I just tell you this, that there's no politician. We got an election coming up. There's no politician that's going to fix where our nation is right now. Can I also tell you that there's no agreement that one nation can have with another nation that is going to fix where our nation is right now? 
the only chance of things turning in our nation is when God's people get back to God's business. And when God's people fall so much in love with his word and we're not afraid to stand for truth and we love people with the truth, we're not bashing it over people's head, but we, we take our position that we have forfeited. Amen. And that's just not one. It's all of us. What can change the world is the love of Jesus and transformed hearts. So my last question is this. Is your world chaotic? Is your heart troubled? Do you feel separated from God? Because if you do, whatever sin that you have in your life, I want you to know that he can deal with it right now. Come on, I love the fact and the idea that in Christ Jesus, my past sin, my present sin, and my future sin is washed away. Amen? So my encouragement to you is simply just to receive him. Receive him. Give your heart to him. Fall in love with his word. Come to 21 days of prayer. And let's start this year out properly and right. Amen? God bless you guys. Thank you so much for being here today. That's it for today's teaching. Hey, here's an idea. Share today's message with a friend or family member. If you're listening from outside our fellowship, we'd love to meet you. Visit graceid.org and hit the contact form to get in touch. We'd also love for you to join us. You can even check us out on Facebook Live by searching Facebook for Grace Church Rupert ID. Learn more and plug in at graceid.org. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Grace Community Church.